Hello and welcome to the weekly general meeting podcast, episode number 14 of our weekly showcase of musicians, poets, comedians, filmmakers, writers, basically anyone working in a creative field that we think are worthy of your attention. I'm Shane Langan and this is Neil Conn. On the show this week, Tom Rowley finds out more about Canadian city Winnipeg than he ever wanted to know. Author John Butler gives us a sneak peek of his upcoming novel, Comedian Giles Brody helps Anthony Kiedis connect up his TV and We Cook Corners play us a couple of tunes. This week's show is brought to you by the lovely people at Independence Music and Arts Festival. Independence is taking place over the first weekend of August, that's Friday 1st to Sunday 3rd, in Mitchellstown, County Cork. This independent festival features acts such as Public Enemy, Tom O'Dell, White Lies, Delorentos, Hosier and many, many more. Tickets are selling really fast, so get yourself onto tickets.ie to nab either a one-day ticket or a three-day camping pass. Visit independencefestival.com for full details. Our first guest this week is a comedian and writer from County Galway. He's been a regular contributor to our live nights over the years, and he joined us again in Dublin recently to tell us some jokes. This is Giles Brody. Hey, how are you all doing? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to thank whoever used the uh, toilet before me for saving me the bother of pissing on my own arse. <laughs> yeah, thanks. thanks for that. Uh, that's good, yeah. And uh, it's, I know it's a bit wet today, it's rainy today, but uh, the sun will be back because uh, it's leaving cert week and God hates Irish children. Um, not the Pope now, the new Pope, uh, Pope uh, Uncle Junior from The Sopranos. Um, he seems okay, because like, the guy who was there before him, he was 78 when they made him Pope, which is a bit like putting someone on for the last 10 minutes of a match. Uh, but not new Pope, he's, he's 77. So we're going to see a lot more di- di- dynamic stuff from him. Uh, he was a bouncer uh, before he was a Pope. Uh, I think that was the order anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, he was, he was a bouncer before he was a Pope. And... Um, he, got, he, got, uh, he lost his job because uh, just out of his conviction that um, uh, someone who was 17 years and three months old tried to get into the club and uh, because, you know, Pope Francis believes that life begins at conception, he, he had to let your man in. <laughs> New joke, that probably won't keep it, but uh, <laughs> I figured this was the room for it. A uh, room where I presume that dog is the proprietor of this place. Some insane guy died and left all his money to his dog. <laughs> And the solicitor had to try and build the dog some sort of big playhouse. I was like, oh yeah, he loved the Game Boy, did the dog. So we'll just have a big Game Boy there. And uh, we'll just kind of leave it open so friends for the dog could come in and hang out with them. That's yeah, not a bad life this dog has. Um, so I've done Piss, Pissing Pope. Um, parents proud of podcast? Possibly not. Uh, they probably won't hear it. Um, uh, I'm glad this isn't uh, 10 foot tall because I've got a terrible pho- ph- phobia. Of 10 foot poles. I wouldn't touch one <laughs> under literally any circumstance. Just, you can't, can't do it to me. And, uh, also, I, 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 10 feet tall people, you know, uh, you don't see, I'd be terrified of them, but luckily, you don't see many people taller than 9 11. And I like to think it's out of respect. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know about any of ye. Um, because I'm not, I don't have that skill, um, but I sort of live my life in constant fear that I'm just going to be, be caught at an inopportune moment by a hidden camera crew, and then that'll be it, that'll be my, my life finished. Like, uh, like my, my kind of sobriety test for myself is if I'm, you know, listening to headphones, if I have it plugged in to my iPod, 
before I put the earphones in, you know? Because if I put it, the earphones in first, and then take it out to put it in, at that second there might be a camera crew going by filming for something called Mental in the Neighborhood. <laughs> oh, look at this insane guy! You can't listen to air, you big prick! Um, you, you can't. Um, so I'm just back from uh, Kilkenny. Um, I was at the, the my friend and I we were, we were pitching a show, and um, uh, the show we were pitching was called uh, Pimp, P I M P. Uh, it's about a pimp who's a private investigator, but also a member of parliament. Um, kind of high concept, but out there, but. Um, uh, they, they didn't want it. The one that they went for was um, it's a documentary called um, I Nearly Met a Beetle, uh, where every week they interview someone who came that close <laughs> to meeting a beetle. It's like, so Marjorie, uh, so Abbey Road, what was it, five minutes? Yeah, five minutes, five minutes I would have met them. It's like, God, that's, that's something else. That's, that's crazy, but, you know, good on them, you know. I'm not uh, holding any resentment um, at all over this. Um, so uh, I've got three puns written on my finger. Would you like to hear them? Hey, um, I was accused of being a, a video game addict, and I said, that's not true, and even if it is, what do you intend to do about it? <laughs> I was uh, fixing a lead between Anthony Kiedis's television and DVD, and I said, oh, so what's up? I said, well, there's a skirt issue that I wish you saw. Um, I just got my uh, a CAT scan back. It turns out I've got a photogenic memory, so it's pretty good going. Pretty happy about that. Uh, and th there you go. Um, so I'll just finish with uh, with this. It's the uh, leaving cert week, and uh, I'll just tell you this quick story about my uh, my Irish uh, my Irish written paper. Uh, for the for the Irish leaving cert, people who aren't from Ireland, um, you do. Uh, you have to do an essay, and um, you can uh, either do a discursive essay um, where you discuss a topic or a narrative where you write a story. And uh, I wasn't a very good student, so I just learnt off two narrative essays and then went in on the day of the exam, looked at the narrative question, couldn't make head nor tail of it. I was fucked. So I looked at the uh, discursive one, and uh, with my you know, two stories, uh, I, wrote, uh, I wrote the following. So the topic was, young people in Ireland without part-time jobs do better in exams, and young people in Ireland without part-time jobs discuss. So, Young people in Ireland with part-time jobs do worse than young people in Ireland without part-time jobs. Strong opening. <laughs> I was discussing this with my friend Connor as I was on my way home from school. <laughs> Suddenly a car came around the corner very quickly. It was as fast as the wind. Without a doubt, the car hit Connor and I called 999 on a phone. An ambulance came and brought Connor to the hospital. And I thought, this is, this is when I'm going to make a fucking epic. On the radio, in the ambulance, because you always listen to the radio in the ambulance, there was a competition for tickets to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I answered the question and we won tickets. We went to the Red Hot Chili Peppers and we had a lovely time. In conclusion, this is why young people learn with part-time jobs do worse young people without part-time jobs. The end. And uh, yeah, you know, I just uh, really wish in retrospect uh, I hadn't written it in English. <laughs> yeah.
Thank you. That was Giles Brody. Our next guests are making their second appearance on the podcast. They're a Dublin duo whose second album, Think Nothing, was released in the spring to critical acclaim. This is a song from that album. It's We Cut Corners with YKK. Corners with YKK. You can catch the boys this summer at Longitude, Boyle Arts Festival, Independence, and Castle Palooza. StoryMap is a website set up by filmmakers Tom Rowley and Andy Flaherty. Basically, it's an interactive map of Dublin. You can click on different locations throughout the city and view short video clips of locals recounting stories specific to that particular part of town. It's well worth checking out. StoryMap.ie is the URL. One of the site's founders, Tom Rowley, joined us recently to tell us a story of his own about a pub crawl in Munich that was derailed by an overly zealous hometown proud Canadian. Kind of shorter than Shane. Ah, there we are. 
Yeah, that's what. Uh, well, no, I just have a story from, I used to have this job traveling around Europe, filming for different companies, travel guide stuff. But in each city, I used to have to go on like a pub crawl as well to kind of film with them. And I don't know if any, has anyone been on many pub crawls? They become just this horrible chore after a while, where they're either like a big bunch of guys and girls from America being all like, woo, or they're just 10 guys just looking at their feet and <laughs> gradually getting restless and angry with each other throughout the night. And anyway, in, in Munich, I went on this one pub crawl where I met just the oddest person I'd ever met while traveling, I think. Um, it was this, there were these 10 Canadian guys there, um, but there was this one guy who just, first of all, he just looked bizarre. He, he kind of looked like two triangles, one on top of the other. Like he, he had this little thin waist and huge shoulders, and then a little thin chin and a giant forehead. <laughs> it, it, kind of like in early computer games where they didn't work out how to do shapes prior, you know, they just had shapes put on top of another and just floating about. And, and as well, his face, he had one of those, I always find hilarious when people have huge heads, but like a tiny face, like, like the, their face has been squished into like the center and there's just a massive head around them. <laughs> and, but even odder than the way he looked, and he really did look really odd, um, was the fact that he, he literally never spoke about a single other thing except uh, Winnipeg, his hometown. So he came up and he was like, oh, where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from Ireland. I'm going to be filming tonight. I hope that's okay. He's like, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm from Winnipeg. I was like, oh, great, yeah. He's like, it's a great city, seventh largest in Canada. Uh, <laughs> very low unemployment rates, excellent te textile exports. <laughs> and it was unbelievable. It, just any time he opened his mouth, it was kind of like he was a really obnoxious Wikipedia page made <laughs> that had been magically made flesh. And... Uh, but this continued across three different bars. And then eventually, I remember we were, we were going down the escalators to the metro to get, go to like another club. And he was behind me and he just, he suddenly yelled at everyone. He was just like, you know what I find annoying? <laughs> How ignorant some people are about some cities in Canada. <laughs> and I, I turned around, I said, listen, it's, it's about Winnipeg, I guess. And he's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm, the only fact I knew about Winnipeg by chance was just that Winnie the Pooh is from there. He's like, you know, the, the bear Winnie the Pooh is based on was, was like a London Zoo bear originally from Winnipeg. And he looked at me like he was deeply insulted by this fact. And he goes, and you're Irish? I was like, yeah, yeah. And then he goes, what is it? Oh, yeah, he goes, uh, your dad's unemployed and your mom, your mom drinks whiskey with her yogurt every morning? And I was like... I was like, my mom doesn't drink yogurt. <laughs> but but I, I just let it go and I turned around. And then suddenly I just felt this massive jolt out on my shoulder. And I was like, oh my God, he just tried to push me down an escalator. <laughs> so I steadied myself and, and I gave him my angry look, and, uh, which I don't think really did much. But, um, and I thought, you know, because the guy was ginormous, so I was like, well, just, God, he's a bit mad, but I'll just let it go. So, you know, but then we, went, we got on the train, and we were in that little compartment, you know, the area in front of the doors where there's a few little flap-down seats. We were hanging out there, anyway, most of us, and the guy was a bit off. We were having just a regular chat, the nine of us, and suddenly I could just feel him behind me, you know, and the whole conversation just evaporated <laughs> around us. And he kind of held on to the big pole, you know, the little... Uh, thing at the side and then he just looked around and he goes I have no idea why everyone is ragging on Winnipeg <laughs> uh, I mean we're just exasperated this one chubby guy in the corner was like he's like listen um, 
I actually, a girlfriend of mine used to live in Winnipeg and she said it was a bit of a crap place, actually. <laughs> she said she never left her sector, she just hated the place. And the man from Winnipeg just stared down at him and he just goes, well, fuck her. <laughs> and, and the guy just, like, the chubby guy, you know, he was a really nice guy, so he didn't want to start something. So he just, as a, like a little olive branch of a joke, he was like, oh, you know, that's, oh, that's, that's what I was doing, you know? And, and the man from Winnipeg just stared down and he just, like, it, like a few people laughed awkwardly. And then, then the man from Winnipeg just went, yeah. Funny. <laughs> and it was the most sinister phrasing of funny I'd ever heard. And, and then, you know, he said, what was it again? He just, then he suddenly goes, and you know, I mean, <laughs> not only is it a great place, but it's got fantastic cultural scene <laughs> with some of the best restaurants in, in Canada. And, uh, and we we're like, oh God, you know? And then this, he goes, and another thing, you know? While we were back in that bar and you guys were all chatting to yourselves like faggots, I was talking to a girl. <laughs> and this guy who unfortunately had a lisp was like, ah, he just, in this situation, unfortunately, he was like, oh, he was like, well done, you know, you, you talked to a girl. I bet you were talking to her about that shithole. <laughs> Winnipeg. <laughs> and like, I, I can't describe the way his face suddenly went. It was like it was like his face was trying to escape his head at this point. It was, eyes began just like bursting, you know. And it's like it was. I don't know. Uh, do you ever when you have a golf ball and you take off the the outer bit and there's like a a little rubber ball wrapped in extremely tight elastic, so that if you let it drop, it just like ricochets in a million directions. It's the only cool thing about golf, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> He, he reminded me of one of those, like he was just about to drop and just go everywhere. And he suddenly went, he's staring down, he just went, zuh, 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 zuh. He's like, you have a fucking lisp and you dare to make fun of Winnipeg? <laughs> and we all, it was amazing. It's like, you know, when something is so stupid, it, it, you can't find a logic to talk back to it. It was like we'd all been hit by a giant meteor of stupidity and it had knocked us all out of orbit. And we were all dazed for a second. And I was just like, that, you know, I think collectively it came to us. We were like, that, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, and one of the chubby guy who was there was like, oh, listen, that, that's a bit mean, like, you know, and, and really that, that, that's different things, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he was, you know, like he, he was born with, I mean, I guess you were born with that. And, you know, the guy's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, whereas at this point, the man from Winnipeg just cut him off instantly, reared up and just bellowed. Like, I mean, the whole train carriage must have heard him. And he yelled, I was born with Winnipeg. <laughs> and again, it was like, again, we were just smashed out of orbit. And uh, I, don't, we did, I, I had no idea what to say till eventually one guy just was like, listen, he's like, we're all... We're all from Canada here, except the Irish guy there, <laughs> and he seems grand. And I went, that's that's the that's the only bit of agency I have in this story, by the way. <laughs> in case you're thinking Tom's going to save the day, he doesn't. <laughs> he just sits there. Um, so I was like, yeah, and uh, and then he goes, you know, we're all we're all from Canada. And the guy, yeah, we're all Canadians from Canada, on a train in Munich. So let's settle this here. <laughs> I suddenly realized, I mean, no, none of us really wanted a giant 
brawl on a train <laughs> over this guy's town, which none of us had ever been to, and it sounded crap. So eventually, <laughs> everything was like heating up, and everything just seemed about to happen when suddenly the guy who was running the pub crawl just just ran up, and he got he gave the guy back. He, just gave the guys money, just listen, here's your money back, here's a fiver on top, just, just stay on the train, we're getting off here. I, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> just leave, okay? And then I remember we all left, and um, I looked back and I could see him, you know, still holding on to the little bar thing, staring at us through the window. And I remember I, I went to Munich a year later and I wondered if he was gonna still be there. It looked like he was soldered to it, you know? But I remember my feeling, the only bit of like introspective thought I could have about this when I saw him kind of going away in the train was just like, it kind of felt like he was being flushed away <laughs> really quickly. And, and, and I suddenly thought, wow, public transport's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, thanks. That was Tom Riley there. We had writer and director John Butler on the podcast a few weeks ago, if you remember, doing a very interesting Q&A. Uh, and while he was with us, he also read a very short excerpt from his new, as yet unpublished novel. This is John Butler. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I, I wrote a novel in, in 2011 called The Tenderloin, which was uh, published uh, by Picador. And then this is my second novel, which I've, um, I'm just about to finish in the next few weeks. And I thought what I'd do is read maybe a five-minute section of it. And, uh, and if you don't like it, I'll just bin it. Because <laughs> it's only taken three years. <laughs> um, the new novel is called Single Beds. Uh, it's a love story between a, an older man and a younger man. Um, they're called Frank and Shay. I'm kind of interested in, in the gay uh, love experience. Uh, I'm interested in how it's usually relentlessly bleak and culminates in uh, somebody dying of AIDS or being shot in the face or uh, thrown down a well. Um, writers don't seem to be able to imagine a happy ending for gay couples, so I, I was hoping to, spoiler alert, write a, a book with a happy ending. So um, in this section, you'll meet Shay at a wedding. Um, it's a wedding in Ireland and he's single. Um, and this, this section is, I suppose, about the difficulties with weddings if you're alone. God, this type is tiny. <laughs> this is on airplane mode, so you can relax. Nobody's gonna call me. <laughs> the table plan was roulette, particularly for those unfortified by arms to link, those like Shay, supported solely by Vov, Clico, Xanax, and Rennie. For all, though, this plan was the basis of the evening, the aspirations and political sense of the hosts readable from how names were clumped together. For this plan, each table had been named after a type of tree, there was the top table name Elm, and circled increasingly around a chestnut, palm, and oak, fanning out wider again into a cluster of fir, pine, beech, and birch. At the center of each miniature table on the plan, a tiny leaf insignia had been elegantly embossed, and around each leaf insignia, the names of 10 guests were rendered in a beautiful, meticulous script, alternating in terms of gender. At Elm, Kevin, Suzanne, Damien, Ali, Glenn, Cathy, and Vin. The bride and groom seemed to have invited equal numbers of each gender, and noting these symmetries, Shay began to realize how much work must go into arranging a wedding. He sighed at the romance of it all, and chastened by the expense and meticulous detail, vowed to find the father of the bride after dinner and thank him for it all. 
it all looks so beautiful. The realization of an idea that from the saplings of each table, the branches of new friendship might grow and entwine above the bride and groom, the perfect natural canopy for the evening of a wedding. This could be one of the good weddings, but where was his name? It took him a considerable time to find it because his table was buried at the bottom fringe of the page and unlike the others, these guests had not been rendered in the same exquisite font. This bottom circle of names was offered in 12-point courier. The effect of positioning that a disclaimer to the main celebration above it. Shay's table was the terms and conditions upon which the celebration above it would now proceed, a cautionary note. And as such, his eyes had skipped over it to begin with, thinking it not to be a table at all, but a table it was. And the other big difference he now noticed, eyes widening at the sight, was that the table name was single. Could single possibly be a tree? Uh, one of whose existence he wasn't aware. Closer inspection revealed that the boy-girl, boy-girl, boy-girl symmetry at each other table had only been achieved so effortlessly by weeding out the singles and clumping them together in each other's company at the single. You've got to be kidding me, a woman's voice behind him said. Single. Shay turned around and saw the small, neat wife of the man he met earlier. Maybe it's a type of tree, he offered, shrugging. I think all trees by their nature are single, she said. <laughs> Are you a tree surgeon or a nature buff, Shay asked, smiling. I know the bride way better than I know trees. She's my sister, I'm Carol. They shook hands and smiled and Shay peered again at the plan. I wonder why they didn't just go for alone or horribly alone or decaying. <laughs> it's not the most considerate gesture I've ever seen, but good luck. She gave Shay a thumbs up and went on in. An impluvium overhung the center of the room beneath which sat an ornate fountain, water dribbling from the tiny penis of a brass cherub. Shade threaded his way through the tables and on the way over began to see his friends, their feet rooted safely under tree tables. Look, his friend Claire was saying as Shade passed her table, we're at Birch. I'm single, Shade shouted. What? Claire shouted after. Oak, his friend Gavin shouted as Shade walked on by. Single, Shade responded, relative of the bonsai. <laughs> single was at the bottom of the room, almost around the L shape of the bar. The ten strange names were represented now by ten single faces, the mood here well established. Appraising the layout, Shay saw that it would read man, woman, man, woman, man, Shay, man, woman, man, woman. Was this great consideration on the part of bride and groom or was he just the odd man out? He took his seat between two men, both of whom immediately signaled intensely heterosexual disinterest. <laughs> moving their chairs further away from him, both then turning further towards the women on their far side. He got it. Looking on the upside, he now had plenty of room. Down here at Single, this was the muck and bullets of romance, and as starters were slid beneath their noses by indifferent Slavic white people, instinctively, Shay glanced around to check that those were the same starters as those at the other tables were eating. As he ate in silence, a smirking, chubby man on the far side of the table wearing a Looney Tunes tie remarked that the three men seated across from him might want to inquire about a triple room that night to save some money. After politeness, out of politeness, Shay had been willing to laugh at the joke, clinging to the tendrils of any kind of conversation, until the guy directly to his right then stood up, leaned across, and pointed a finger at the joker. You better watch your fucking mouth, Tom. If anyone's the faggot, it's you, you fucking queer. <laughs> Tom blanched and suggested that Eric should relax the head and then began picking again at his starter. The woman to Tom's right then rubbed his arm and he smiled at her, forgetting everything that had preceded it. Tom was now on a promise. Silence descended. Elsewhere, distantly, grace was being concluded. Amen, Shay said, putting a napkin in his shirt collar and smoothing it down carefully, then looking around at no one. Now, he said, for no reason whatsoever and to no one at all. 
And that was the extent of the conversation. Unlike the men beyond them, the men beside Shay had but the one lady to pursue, one single lady being all that separated them from the deeply upsetting imp implications of him lurking just behind. Now, for the duration of the meal, Shay had for company nothing beyond the floral display in the middle of the table. And as the men on either side of him dominated the women on the other side of them, that left the men on the far side of those women no option but to turn to their left and dominate the women on that side. This circle concluded directly across from Shay as a young woman with blonde hair giggled at the advances from either side of Tom and another man, Domino. John Butler there with a passage from Single Beds. We're almost at the end of this week's show, but we have time for one more track from Weaker Corners. This is another song from their album, Think Nothing. This is Wallflowers. I thought you liked being mothered You sit around in your depressing gown Waiting to be discovered But discovered as what? A diplomat or a despot You seem pretty sure of yourself I'm pretty sure that you're not You swirl like a bucket of steam in a dusty room You stay up till all hours Waiting for your wallflowers to bloom Browsing through the digital aisles You're all smiles through the turnstiles Spin every penny you've got from the comfort of your kitchen You dream with eyes open wide You drowsy delinquent You've got a sadness inside But a laugh that's like a liquid You swirl like a bucket of steam In a dusty room You stay up till all hours Waiting for your Wallflowers to bloom. The fixed look of hate on your face is erasable. All isn't lost, and what is is replaceable. You swirl like a bucket of steam in a dusty room. You stay up till all hours waiting for your wallflowers. We cut corners once again there with wallflowers. 
That's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much for downloading or streaming. Big thanks to our guests this week. We Cut Corners, John Butler, Tom Rowley and Giles Brody. Thanks also to Ross McCormick, Alan Bennett, Mike Donnelly, Rory Connolly and Niall Gaffney for helping us out. And finally, a big thanks to our sponsors this week, Independence. If you have a business and you'd like to sponsor the show too, drop us an email on theweeklygm at gmail.com. Our rates are extremely reasonable and entirely affordable. If you're not a business owner and you'd like to support the show, we have a virtual tip jar over on theweeklygm.com. All donations will be greatly appreciated and will go towards producing the podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates on upcoming shows and recording events, slash and or at The Weekly GM. We'll be back next week with episode number 15. Talk to you then.